Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the latest edition of Until Saturday, Sunday Sound Off Edition, Jets paying your boy off edition, seven to one in game. I'm in Las Vegas right now. I left the casino to come be with my two best friends in the entire world, Dave Oven, Nicole Auerbeck. I'm Ari Wasserman here. Um, this is my favorite show of the week, guys. I love it. Yeah. I love that we get to watch all the games on Saturday. I love that we get to return on Sunday, 24 hours later, when the dust settles to contextualize more things. And my favorite thing is having a very knowledgeable, um, very insightful guest to come in and, and maybe give us some thoughts that we missed on Saturday night, Dave. So, Nicole, before we get into the show, before we get into the glorious voicemails, before we get into the fan opinions, I wanted to give you the floor if you had a takeaway or a thought or anything that stood stood in your mind through the past 24 hours from the latest college football Saturday that we had. Oh, well, first of all, I would like to congratulate you, Ari. I know that this is a big moment for you. You're very happy, very proud of yourself about this live live in-game bet. So um, just wanted to take a moment there to start there and celebrate that. Um, you are now ch- texting me all caps, the Jets, exclamation points. So great to have you on board. My, I'll tell my dad that you are a Jets fan now. Um, so I was in South Bend for USC Notre Dame. Um, which that game, the outcome was the way that I thought it was going to go, but not the way that the game was played. You know, you guys were talking about this on your Saturday recap show, but I think we all thought that it would be the USC defense that would eventually cost them a game, not the Mm -hmm. USC offense. So that was pretty stunning. And I do think that between what Arizona did to, to limit Caleb Williams and then what Notre Dame did, We'll probably see a lot more teams uh, have some ideas of what to do to uh, to limit that explosive offense. But I mean, the main takeaway was out west. Um, Washington, Oregon absolutely lived up to the billing. That was incredible. It was such a great game because I think these are two teams that a lot of us have been really high on both of them. And we hadn't. You know, like per Washington, you know, you, you see them just absolutely crush who they're playing, but mostly everyone that they're playing. But it's just like, it's like, okay, well, the Michigan State game should have been a better challenge. It should have been something we learned something about them, but you don't. And this game, the fact that both teams did all the things that we thought they were going to do, right? That Washington could score on two plays and just absolutely light it up. And that Oregon was a more balanced offense, but both defenses did have a couple moments with individual stops. But ultimately, like the way that that game went at the end and all the debates and the fourth down decisions like it was just as compelling as I hoped it would be and I think that I came out of that thinking that these are two top five teams these are both national title contenders and I really hope that we get a rematch in Las Vegas so I was thrilled with that Michael Penix Jr. has been someone that I think was the Heisman front runner even before the game I think coming out of it definitely is 
And, um, you know, I think Caleb Williams, his Heisman stock took a big hit. And so I think you're still going to have multiple quarterbacks from the West Coast, I think, get to New York and be finalists for the Heisman Trophy. But this is pretty early in the season to feel like there is a very clear favorite for it. So that was interesting as well. Um, And then just otherwise, I mean, things that jumped out to me was, you know, that one week that we spent talking about how there could be three undefeated teams in the ACC, all the (laughs) tie-breaking procedures. That was a great week. Yeah, it was like a really good six days. We got six days of of, of talk about that. So uh, that 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 was gone. Um, And Pitt actually does seem to be very different with a new quarterback. So that's positive. I feel like you guys talk about the stuff a lot where like teams like luck into the kind of the wrong quarterback or sorry, they luck into making the correct quarterback decision that they should have been doing all year. And like Virginia Tech is another example of that. And so it's always interesting when that sort of pops up. But yeah, I mean, it was just it was a great, great weekend because Washington, Oregon lived up to it. And that that rivalry has never had a top 10 showdown. It looked picture perfect as someone who was in somewhere where the elements were an issue and the weather was bad. (laughs) It was beautiful to watch on television. Um, And again, I'm just I I came out of that very similarly to the way I came out of Texas OU, although that game was wilder and much sloppier, thinking that they're both really good teams. Like it, it, it validated my feelings, I think, about both of these teams. And certainly Washington, because I wasn't sure their defense would have been able to do enough to win that game, and it did. I think that that is all – I agree with everything you just said. And I wanted to pull this up. I know this is premium content, but, you know, this is the athletic show, and I wanted to give you kudos for something. You ranked Washington your number one team in your top ten on Saturday night. Yep. I think I saw somewhere on Twitter through the haze of the Las Vegas Strip on Sunday morning that – they are still not in the top three in the AP poll. And I don't know how people vote. I don't know the procedures that everybody goes through. I know as a former AP voter myself, you might not put as much time into it as people may think, uh, especially if you cover a team and you don't watch all the games on Saturday. But is it asinine to not have Washington number one on your ballot? Oh, well, I I think I expected, I thought that they would be number three in the AP poll. And I was going to be disappointed and prepared to rant about that because I thought that these are voters who just refuse to take Georgia and Michigan out of those two top spots because they haven't lost. And what's going to happen here is like the CFP will come out with their first rankings and they'll say, hey, look, all of these other teams have these marquee wins, these huge opportunities, top 10 wins, and they will put those teams possibly ahead of Georgia and Michigan. And then the AP voters will copy it. And then they'll start changing it. But I can't believe that Ohio State is ranked ahead of Washington. Those two teams play. What's the line on that game, Ari? You know, I don't know the answer to that question. I think that the line line scenario with that one is tough. I agree, but but I think we know who's favored, right? Yeah, I think that I would – if Washington weren't favored, I would hammer Washington with points. So So I I, I think I get your point on that, yeah. So like to me that that's that's kind of crazy and that's also not adjusting for Notre Dame the way that they lost to Louisville like all of the mm-hmm. other factors that are there. So I was shocked. So Washington not only is not in the top 3, they're number 5 in the AP poll. 5. 5. Crazy to me. And only two people voted for them number 1. Like this is arguably the best win anyone has in the country. And I don't understand how only two people voted for them to be the number one team in the country. 
I don't know if it's a lack of respect for the teams out West or maybe people weren't paying attention to them. I understand that Oregon didn't really have any, you know, big wins on their resume, but like you can't watch that game and come away not thinking that these are both like as there are not, there are not many teams better than these two teams. So that was shocking to me. And I feel like this is Kentucky. (laughs) This is, but this is like, this is, I I, I agree with Ari and, and I'm sure, you know, we all know what it's like to cover a game and it's really hard to catch up with everything else that's happening. Mm -hmm. But like, there have been massive, massive games each week, like a lot more than usual. Right. We've had like just the way it's fallen. We've had a lot of like top 10, top 15 games. So how do you not then weigh those more? Than just everything else in the scoreboard check and the box scores that you normally would do, or right. penalize Georgia and the Michigan lazy and just thing wait. would be to the lazy thing would be to rank Washington one. But I, I also think it's the easiest thing. The thing that I my take on big games, guys, and and Dave, I want to ask you this. But my take on as you get further into the season, the games between the undefeated teams become bigger because the more you win. The more you advance, the more adversity that you have fought through as a team, the better that you are. I don't care who you're playing. If you're two 5-0, and 6-0 teams, that is a more uh, influential game in my mind than two teams that are 2-0, and regardless of what the rankings are. So for me, I know it was at home, but Washington has, as things stand right now, the best win in college football this year. That's what I think. Now, you, you might think that Alabama or the win over Alabama – for Texas since it was on the road. You know, Dave, is there a game that you think is a bigger win that off the top of your head? No, that might be because I'm a I'm an Oregon believer. Uh so yeah. maybe I, am too. I, I think we'll we'll see what Alabama is by season's end. You could I mean I think that you could make the case for Texas at Alabama in part because it's on the road and in part because maybe you're buying more of the Alabama stock, but I would I would say Washington has the best win, yeah. So yeah. we're it's gonna just, I think we're gonna crazy. get to see this too. Like listen. We learned a lot about the Pac-12 last night. I do think that there is some danger when you look at the the notion that there's a chance that these teams will all lose to each other. I think that there's a higher probability of that happening this year in the past because the basement of this conference is so much higher than it's been in the past. I mean, going into Oregon State and playing them is not an easy game. Going to Utah and playing them is not an easy game. All of a sudden, Arizona's blowing out uh, a top 20 team on the road, 44 to six. Like there aren't any truly awful teams, maybe outside of Stanford. And they just erased a 29 to nothing lead uh, on the road against Colorado. So losses, I think are going to pile up in weird places this year. But I think that as we are one of the most compelling, if not the most compelling storyline of this season has been, how's the PAC 12 going to shake out. And I think that I'm so happy we got the game that we got in our first quest to answer that question. Uh, Same. Um, And I want to uh, answer some of the questions that we're getting in the Mm -hmm. comments because listen, we got a bunch of people saying, what about Oklahoma and the win over Texas? I said a week ago that that was the best win in the country. I had Oklahoma as number one. People need to be rewarded for these types of games and these types of wins. And you know what? They can change over the course of the season. And it's fine. And you adjust. These are week to week rankings. And I said, it was actually funny. So I filed the the top 10. I put Washington number one. And my editor, Eric goes, he's like, listen, you keep saying like, this is the best win anyone has. You said that last week about 
you know, Oklahoma over Texas. And I was like, yeah, because today at that point, that was <laughs> the best win that anybody had. And now yeah. the new best win that anybody has is Washington's win over Oregon. But I still have Oklahoma at number two. Because again, yeah, I was just gonna great, say, like these are great wins. And if you do the transitive property of Alabama's playing better, so therefore Texas's win over Alabama is better, then Oklahoma's win over Texas is even better. I just I here's like, the thing that's we need that's, to reward so these these sorry, I, I didn't mean to step over. We just yeah, we no, need to no, reward no, actual actual results. Like we don't have always Oklahoma have this many. Too. Yes. You have them too. Yeah. Yes. Like I don't know what else people would like. Oh, she's an Oklahoma hater. She no, I think you too. guys. I think you guys. In the BCS the era, Ari, which I'm oh, sure. Are we the haters? Oh, yeah. we're the haters. You're the haters. You guys are the haters because you didn't mention that well, I'm inherently that win. biased towards my Longhorns, so um, <laughs> that's you know I'm I'm a huge Oklahoma hater. Yep. Listen, I think I'm public enemy number one in the Oklahoma sphere after the column I wrote on Monday. You're and up I there, filed, you and Lincoln. And I and I filed it thinking they were going to love me for it. So maybe <laughs> I'm just off in banana land somewhere. But I think Oklahoma is awesome. And, like, I'm looking at your top ten right now. Washington, one. Oklahoma, two. Uh, Georgia, three. Michigan, four. I'm not going to tell you the rest. Paywall. And if you're not subscribed <laughs> to The Athletic, I don't know what you're doing to yourself. I think this is a good segue to get into the questions. But before we get into those questions, let me formally welcome everybody into the Sunday Reaction Show in the Until Saturday feed. If you're watching live on YouTube right now, uh, thank you so much. I, I love the notion the notion the fact that we see a lot of the same names uh it makes me feel like there's a community here and i really like all you guys even if you don't like me and i and i'm truly thankful that you're here with us every time we go live leave a five-star review on apple spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast if you're listening to this in podcast form um, whether you're a youtuber or a podcaster anything that you can do to interact with the show share it like it comment review it all those things help the show grow and it means uh, a ton to all of us um, also, if you want to, in the future, be included in the Sunday Sound Off show, feel free, feel urged to leave a voicemail at 316-462-9852. Again, that is 316-462-9852. You can leave your thoughts, your feelings, your anger, your notions, anything you want. You can call me an idiot. All those things will make it into the show the best of our ability. You can also text that line, but we will favor the voicemails. Um, so how about it, guys? You want to get into it? I know we have a ton this week. We're getting more every week. That means we're growing. People are starting to appreciate the concept. And I, I feel like we're humming. We got some good questions. Uh, we're getting to the good part of the four-team playoff field. It's the dessert. Savor it. Enjoy it. There's only four <laughs> spots. There's a lot of teams that are vying for those four spots, and we don't know who's going to win the national championship this year. And I think that's delicious. So uh, why don't we get to it? That's right. This is this. All right. This year, the playoff is the learner's permit. Next year, we get the driver's license and, and really get things going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hi, it's Jason in Independence. I was the first guy you ever played on an until sound off. I tried to warn you. Washington was the group think overhype. Well, about to see it in about 20 minutes. I said what I said, and I'll call you back after and let you know either way how it goes. Bye. Hey, it's Jason in Independence. Um, I was wrong. Much respect. We'll see him in Vegas. <laughs> I, I gotta respect the guy. I love for, that. For, for, for turning because he was like, why does every? Oh, he's the question was phrased the first week. The first question. By the way, we gotta send him a medal or something because being yeah. the first caller. But I remember the way that it was phrased. It was phrased. Why do reporters or national media or whatever 
have national groupthink about certain teams. Every year, there's a few that people overthink are going to be good at the beginning of the year. Who is it this year, and why is it Washington? That's what he said, remember? <laughs> I do remember that guy. I, how much – I think some of that has gone away, though. I, I don't know how – I think people were skeptical – at the case a couple weeks ago when you were looking around and everybody was tripping over their own shoelaces. And we said, Hey, there's a pretty good case for Washington. Number one, because they haven't played with their food at all this season in a field where no one's good. I think there was a little bit of skepticism about Washington at that, but I, I don't know that I would even call Saturday a breakthrough game. I, I think people were taking Washington seriously. I think there was some eye rolls about Washington as a true national title contender, but I don't know that that was, a prevailing thought. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I, I think it was maybe just that, like when I was doing preseason CFP picks and we're doing mid season ones, by the way. So people are going to adjust. Yeah. It's going to be but hard I, this year. It's going to be really hard. And I I'm picked with Washington. I picked Washington as my pac 12 champ because I thought that everyone's going to pick USC Mm-hmm. And I thought I was zagging. And then I think a few of us also picked Washington. So I think it's just possible that like people liked what was returning and whatnot. But I don't think that people took, I think we all were excited about the Pac 12 and the depth in the Pac 12, but not, you know, who's the going to be an actual national title contender? Are they the type of team that could actually win it? Like this is still a league that hasn't played in the playoff since the 2016 season. So I think even just picking them to be in the playoff is a little bit of a risky pick in the preseason. So I don't know that there's a ton of group think. I think um, this year the we we had one of these comments that we just put up there. I mean, there's so much parody. And there's been so many flashes of different teams, and a lot of the great teams have had really slow starts, looked bad in wins. Like they just feel it. Just it, it, that's been one of the prevailing thoughts. Is like it does feel more wide open, even if the field eventually narrows. Um, I got to say this too, okay, because we've been watching the sport. All of us uh, have been covering it for more than 10 years now. Washington's remaining schedule is ASU at Stanford at USC, home against Utah, on the road against Oregon State and Washington State in the rivalry game. It is not without the realm of question that this team, newly ranked number one, could lose two games this year. Like yeah. It is the Pac-12. They are not out of the woods yet. There is a lot to still be decided. And, you know, if you're sold on them, you should be, because I think Oregon's really good. Like I tweeted at the end of the game when I thought Oregon was going to win that, you know, it's time to, to put the word out that Oregon's back up. You know, that, that meme that everybody tweets out, and it's like, they didn't win the game. I'm absolutely obsessed and in love with Dan Lanning now after the calls that he made at the end of the game. But, like, they're still got to beat Oregon. That doesn't include, if they're blessed enough to make it, the Las Vegas game where weird things happen. So um, I still yeah. think that the pact – I'll speak for both of us, I think, Ari, in that when you say that, I think that's more a credit to the depth of the Pac-12 than skepticism about Washington. For sure. Yeah, I'm not mm-hmm. – I don't I, – there's nobody that I could look at you with the eyes uh, right now with a straight face and say, I'm 100% certain they're going to make it through the Pac-12 without two losses. And I hope that doesn't yeah. happen. I hope, I hope at least one team makes the playoff this year. Um, I hope they don't. I hate this word cannibalize. I always think of Jeffrey Dahmer. It freaks me out. But I, uh, I hope they don't knock each other off. So uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. It's super exciting. The greatest thing that I will say again is that it was a great game, and we were two yards away from a different result. 
and it certainly could have happened. Oregon could have made a field goal and won in overtime, and we'd be having a different discussion right now. That doesn't mean that Washington wouldn't have been a good team still. And I still feel the same way for Oregon. They could win out and win the Pac-12 as a one-loss team and be a badass playoff contender or potentially yes. game winner. Next question. Yes. Hey, Ari, Dave, well, whoever else is there today. Uh, this is Ethan. I'm uh, just outside uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, it's about 10.42 p.m., and, uh, you know, it's uh, in between the third and fourth quarters of the Miami-UNC game, and I just, I don't get it. <laughs> I'm so used to the pain and the suffering of being a Miami fan, Miami Hurricanes fan that I just, like, let myself believe. And then between S and Neil, <laughs> no Neil, I mean, and then this stupid nonsense that's going on, Right now in this game, I just we we just got outscored twenty one nothing in the third quarter. I don't I, I don't get it. Is there any hope for me? And uh, as always, love the show and uh, do it to it, Lars. All right, bye. Do it to it, Lars. <laughs> oh look, a deli meat. <laughs> Whose wonderful candies are these? <laughs> should we um we we should timestamp all the calls because I do think finding out how far into the evening <laughs> or drunk PM, someone yeah. might be yeah is is it's yeah. helpful. <laughs> Not that Ethan was drunk, but that was the most pleasant voicemail I've ever gotten left after ten thirty p.m. Eastern time. That's what I'm saying. Um, I'm saying, but like, and we could also, <laughs> I mean, if people wanted to volunteer what they've been drinking, that would also be helpful. But I I, I like yeah. the timestamp. Come here, you change. devil log. Um, Sorry with that. I think references. I think the one thing, and, and this isn't necessarily for Miami fans, but I think Miami might be number one on the list of college football jobs and programs that are worse situated than the sort of casual fan realizes. Uh, the no on-campus stadium thing is a real thing. Facilities are not great. They don't have a ton of money. Um, your your NIL kingpin is facing some issues at the moment, Mr. John Ruiz. Uh, and I think people look at, well, they have all this Miami talent and you have all these national championships in two different eras, right? And I think those things are true, but Miami is a difficult job in a lot of ways. And Mario Cristobal has not helped himself in the last couple of weeks, even though I thought he was a good fit for this job. So I think there is some hope. Uh, I think when you look ahead, at the future of the ACC and the future of college football and the idea of whether or not Miami will be included on whatever elevation happens um, as these leagues coalesce into, you know, the AFC and the NFC. Sorry, Ari. Um, I would be a little nervous. You you like that. I I don't, Ari. I don't. I I would be a little nervous if I was a Miami Then join me on the dark side. No, I'm not going to join you on the dark side. I have a lot of issues with realignment. I don't have a lot of issues with the postseason. But we'll see. What do you, where do take, you guys sort of take, stand on Miami's future? I take exception to the – I mean, I guess it's been a long time like it, it, since they've been really, really good. But Miami also has had some of the most badass teams in my lifetime yeah, in cultural ball history. Two different eras where you were ruling like the sport for a window. Nicole's dad is a lifelong Jets fan. You want to ask him about what it's like to like a team and be torture? <laughs> I don't know if, I, if I'm ready to put Miami up there yet because there's always eternal hope. And when you're that close to players, I think that there's a, a likelier path that you can overcome it. And just because they're not very good or the results haven't been good the last two weeks this year – you have a person who understands Miami as the head coach who is mm-hmm. clearly upping the ante as it pertains to who they're signing out of high school. You're getting better players in there. 
I think that there is a clear and direct path where you can draw a line from here to there and say, here's how we're going to get better. There are a lot of programs in college football where you don't have a plan or it's hard as a third party or an analyst of that sport to come up with that plan. So that doesn't exist for, for a lot of schools and it exists for Miami. So you won't make me, you won't hear me feeling too bad for, for that. Uh, that said, it just stinks that it keeps, keeps happening to them. That no knee thing. It's like, we're eight days removed from it. And I'm still like disgusted by it. I know it, it's, it's I, literally I, kept, I, me, it's, kept me up at night. <laughs> just like, it's still I, wild to think about that. It's, uh, it's kind of amazing that it was hiding in plain sight all this time. Like that. Nobody has noticed this that much. Before. Doesn't it kind of make you want to go look through kneel. all these old box scores and just see who's kneeling and who isn't like, are there, uh, is there another coach out there that doesn't kneel? If you're a fan of a team that tell us, yeah, let all us right. Know. Please let us know. Yes. I want to go back. Here's what I'm going to do after this show. And I'm not even joking. I think I'm going to go back to the FIU box scores in Mario Cristobal's first head coaching job when he got really yeah. screwed there at the end. I want to, was he not kneeling all the way back there? I got to look this up. This is going to, this is driving me crazy now. So to, to the original question about like, you know, where is Miami's future? I am with Ari on this. I mean, I think it's too soon to, to write off Mario Cristobal. I mean, I, I understand mm-hmm. the immediate reaction to something that is beyond inexcusable. And being like, oh, my God, like, you know, do you fire him on the tarmac, right? Like, you know, whatever the extreme examples of, like, something like that is for a knee-jerk fan reaction. But, like, anytime we see a coaching change, it takes time to weed out the players that are not contributing to the type of culture you want or the type of scheme and system that you want. Clearly, he already made an offensive coordinator change last year, like something wasn't working there personnel issues and then also like it just is going to take time for a great recruiter like we're still seeing even the remnants of mario's recruiting at oregon right like and how he beefed up different position groups in 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 the recruiting area and so i think that you still need to give him time to do that i agree with whoever was commenting about like i don't think miami would be left behind if there's you know in an era of super conferences i agree that i think miami would be pretty well positioned here i mean there's there's a lot of money the academic prestige is there um i I agree though with ubin about the point that like this is a smaller school further away from south beach than people realize if you've not actually been to coral gable so i think it's it's it takes a lot of factors and obviously they've missed on coaches it is a pressure cooker it's a really hard place to succeed in and to show that growth I thought that they had it. I still trust in this offense. I think they can do some really good things this year. But it's frustrating, I imagine, for Hurricane fans when you see something like Duke and when you see mm-hmm. North Carolina. North Carolina fixed or vastly improved, even though they gave up a lot of yards to to, to Miami. Their defense, right? It was dead last in the ACC last year. They mm-hmm. have shown significant improvement. They've been getting more negative plays, all of those things. But Duke turns it around from a three win season to nine last year. And then you beat Clemson and then they didn't even have Riley Leonard this weekend. They crush NC state. Like that is a program builder. And that is someone who can walk into tough situations and also not just rely on recruiting, right? That's a a coach who, you know, one of the things I like most about Mike Elko is that almost all of his jobs in the course of his career have been places where he's at like one of the least talented teams in the conference that he's in. Like, there's it's just when you see something like that 
and you look at Duke and Duke has game day there and Duke is winning football games and you're Miami and you're saying, what can we not do? Why can't we get out of our own way? I imagine that's very frustrating, but I agree in general long-term. I mean, you, you have to figure out how to get dudes to this school, how to get back to where you want to be. And again, even if, you know, I'm not sure what the timeline is or whatever about, you know, kind of the future of college sports, but there's no reason that Miami should be contending in the ACC, right? We've been saying that since they got to the, since they split divisions in the first place, hoping that Florida state and Miami would play each other. And then even now without division. So it's, it's frustrating. I understand, but you know, you got to give it a little bit more time. FSU was changing coaches really quickly. And then you had to restart and you had to restart and restart. And then Mike Norvell was able to actually build upon each other and build those building blocks to where they are now. I, oh, I, I want to jump in real quick. A quick question, uh, Mike Elko tangent. Yes, I had a he Mike is, Elko tangent too. He is the guy that if A and M fans get their fantasy, that he's the guy stepping into that situation. Is that worth one hundred and twenty million dollars to you, Nicole? To, well, let me let me I mean, jump I down before, she, before she answers that real quick. And I want to say okay. this because Nicole and I both talked to Elko on the phone last year. Remember, like in the same week. Oh, and yeah. We yeah. Both we both were working on Duke, Duke stories. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and then you wrote a Duke story. And then I just never got around to doing mine. But I spoke to him on the phone about this. And when you look at him from a recruiting standpoint, his diverse background, he was a coach at Penn. He was a coach at Hofstra, Richmond, Bowling Green, which is a MAC team that is kind of hard to dif- dif- I don't know why I can't say that word. Differentiate <laughs> from other MAC schools. And yeah. then he also was Notre Dame. And AM. When you think about a person who is kind of, you know, recruit and he was part of the the class that AM signed in 20, was it the 22 cycle, the greatest class of all time? Um, so he's recruited at the highest level. He's co- coached at a, a Ivy League school. He's coached at a place that has tradition, but academic uh, things you got to jump through at Notre Dame. Like, I don't know if there's been a coach that's been into a more diverse area of different schools that kind of brings that kind of expertise to wherever they go. So Nicole, you can yeah. answer this question, but I like, I thought that was a fascinating thing to look at because you don't really see very many coaches that have that type of resume. No. And that's why like, it, it was fascinating to me um, just overall his path. But like I had, I actually went to Durham after he got the job that spring because also about taking this job, right? Like you're one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. And that was the cycle where Brent Venables took a head coaching job. Um, Tony Elliott took a head coach. So you were seeing these like really high profile, well-paid coordinators taking these jobs. And some of them were really hard and Duke's very hard, right? Like David Cutcliffe mm-hmm. did some magic, but it's, it's, it's a tough job. So I think that, um, it, it's, it's a fascinating question. I don't think that anyone is worth, you know, a 70, what, what is the, to- the figure on the buyout? Jimbo? Well, so the the Jimbo buyout I think is around seventy five, and then okay, conservatively, and then staff... I guess you would need you would yeah, conservative yeah, then the staff conservatively you'd need fifty million for Elko at a staff. So I put it at like yeah. one hundred and twenty, one hundred and twenty five yeah. million. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think any, I don't think anything is worth that in this sport. Um, you know, there's it's just volatile and Nicole, um, you're you're speaking like someone who doesn't have an oil derrick in their backyard what is this well i would love to have one in this current climate yes but so <laughs> so i don't i don't know the answer to that but i do think that he where would you put the oil thing in chicago um my building well i guess i would first buy a house right that would be the first yeah. step um but my, you know i do have 
<laughs> I have a really um, small little like uh, balcony. So like it could, you know, start okay. there. And like, yeah, come, I wouldn't drill on the balcony. I feel like you're not going like a... to find beneath that. I, I'm limited right now until I buy my new house with all my new oil money, <laughs> which I will get yeah. there. But I this is so. So ultimately, my point is, I do think that he would be an attractive candidate for a variety of jobs because of that diverse background. Um, and I also think that what he's done at Duke and everyone in the coaching industry and ADs and everyone understanding how hard that is from a football standpoint will make him attractive to a lot of people. So I don't know. And I also think it would be ridiculous to pay a buyout to get rid of Jimbo Fisher, despite all of the issues and all of the same don't mistakes and issues that they made. Ever, don't ever say this podcast doesn't care about small teams. Spent 15 minutes on Mike Elko, Duke's build, and what kind of job candidate he would be. So oh, you're so that, wait, that, that Wait, true, but um, wait. So since we are um, hitting on things that are tied to Nicole, since I'm here, can we at least also shout mm -hmm. out Rutgers and how they're going to be bowl eligible in a week? Yeah, sure, that? absolutely. That's huge. That's, they that's just huge. they just like crushed crushed Michigan State's soul yesterday. Oh, that I, was I, a sh that was incredible. A, a, a Greg Schiano soaking wet from the rain, crying tears of happiness on the field. That was that was quite a sight. <laughs> I'm just saying Rutgers. they have they're they've improved defensively, and they are going to be able. They can get some of these teams in in the middle of the pack, towards the bottom mm -hmm. of the Big Ten that they haven't always been able to get. On All right, I'm, I'm fine. I just they said that letting me tangent here. <laughs> that Saturday might be the first Rutgers me mention said, on the entirety of, until Saturday. I was going to say somebody on Saturday morning sent me a text that Rutgers was the play of the day, um, and I didn't take it. And then the entire game, Michigan State was winning, and I was like, "Ha, idiot!" And then I looked back later, and they came back and won, and it was just Ari. Like, uh, you could have had a you could have had a, you could have had Rutgers and the line. Jets. In the same weekend and make so much. I yeah. would have. I'd uh, like to know what the live money line was when they were down 24 6 in the fourth. Yeah. yeah An no, opportunity uh, for Ari. This is, a, this is a city of dreams, guys. It is. I want to move here, but my <laughs> wife won't let me. She Ari, grew up I don't Virginia, think that, that was the worst happen. possible thing no, that could happen. To you. It would be a terrible idea. Absolutely terrible idea. Buddy, I have the sports book in my pocket everywhere I go. Like, it's not like it's. It's it's I the know, Kino like, machines in the gas station that would get me, I think. <laughs> but doesn't it feel like it would be worse? I ovens with me. It would I mean, be I feel worse, like yeah. I feel you, like yeah. it would be, be way more. Yeah, the thing about yeah, Vegas is is that you can't do anything in your walk of life without walking past gaming machines. Like I could go on a date with right. my wife in Dallas and be thinking about gambling. But if we went on a date in Vegas, I'd have to walk through a casino 80% of the time. So you don't just take I, Brit up to Cherokee all the time? That's not your move? Or? She won't go with me, but I go once a week by myself. That's my... Uh, this is my favorite go, artifact. It's so insane. It's not that close. It's like an it's hour and a half. An hour and 20 crazy. minutes away. An hour and 15 minutes away. Wait, I'm sorry. This how often are you going? Artifact. I mean, not as much in the football season, but during the off season, I play <laughs> poker in Cherokee, Oklahoma once a week. It's my, it's my me <laughs> time. I listen to me right now. How did you this didn't start? Know this no. How did this begin? I've been playing poker once a week my entire life, and I tell my wife that that's one of my things I like to do, and she's a supportive and loving partner who lets me go play. 
All right, you need to find an underground. You need to find an underground cash game in Dallas. Yeah, I don't want to. That's what I was gonna say. Like, why? I'm saying, like, why is it so far away? And that this is something that it's across the state line. Dallas isn't. You can't gamble in Dallas. There are card rooms in Dallas, but I play for enough money where I I wouldn't want to walk into like a parking lot of a Tom Thumb grocery store after like I like playing in a casino. I, I feel more secure that way. Um, and it's like I like the one hour drive up by myself quiet i listen to a podcast and on the way back i listen to murder books on the way home and oh i and like I, that i, I support and, i so I'm, I'm i'm back in on the idea yeah i support it yeah yeah i listen to my murder my murder books there are times okay, where good. i'll be like in the middle of of nowhere in oklahoma driving back from the casino at like three in the morning and like they'll be talking about some vile thing in a murder mystery book and i'll just like think like what are you doing right now dude like what are you listening to right now and then he, you know, it's like all these disgusting. Okay, like should we you, go to the next like thing? You, I was just gonna say, like, if you were murdered driving on these like random roads in the middle of the night, and they figured out that the last thing you were doing was listening to a murder podcast, that would be very interesting, and that would be the headline. Well, Ari, true crime I just, is. Very, I just want you to know, Ari, if you are murdered at any point, I will make it into a podcast. Searching. Yes, for yeah. That's my problem. Anything, anything that I could do. Sponsored by more. Yeah, and the until athletic, Saturday, finally, a narrative still podcast that one. on the athletic and Ari, or whatever day of the week, we won't put it behind the paywall. I promise, buddy. Okay, Ooh, quick wait, 30 wait, second oven. story. Hold on, quick, no, no, I gotta tell you. no, 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 wait, wait, wait. I came up with the name already <laughs> before you tell the story. Oven, the podcast would need to yes. be named Until Justice, it's an <laughs> I like of the it. Until Saturday like feed. Okay, all right, <laughs> I'd be really we weird about it. We get the logo, we cross out Saturday, and we put justice in red underneath. It's like a little picture of Ari. When I was covering Ohio State, I was on a road trip with Bill Landis, our former Ohio State beat writer, and Doug Maurice, who used to work at the Cleveland Plain Dealer, and we all went together. And it was a road trip to Purdue or Indiana, one of those two. And Friday night, we left late. It was dark, and the highway had an accident on it, okay? And Doug is the type of person who, if there's a accident, you know, the, there's the people who are like, okay, we waited out. And then there's the people who like zoom in on maps and try to find an alternate like highway or whatever to go I on. Yeah. Doug doesn't let it rest. So we get off the highway and we take a right off the highway. And then all of a sudden we're driving in a cornfield. And when I say a cornfield, it's like a one way road and it is pitch black. There are no lights. It is a cornfield in rural Indiana. Nowhere, nobody within miles of us. And I'm driving a Jeep Grand Cherokee and my arm, the the hair on my arm is standing up. And I'm driving and I'm going 20 miles an hour. And I say it's a rural road. I cannot emphasize that enough. There's no reason why we should have been driving on this thing. We drive. And then all of a sudden, a man, the three of us saw it, peeked his head out of the corn, stared at me in the eyes, no my soul out of my chest no facial expression no, no wave nothing and then turned around and walked back into the crops if you are okay, listening oven. to this show that's definitely a nebraska fan wait oven write that down that will be chapter one of this podcast we do, we do need a know. special episode where we just all tell our <laughs> traveling for college football terrible stories i have a lot and i'm oh not saying i'm not saying that it was a ghost are you we sure that they saw it? From, they saw it. You can text Bill after this. I, I'm it going to. It was in my life. I have never been more. T- what 
the hell was that psychopath doing out there? I'm like, look at me. Why, look like, like, why would I make that up? Like, it is insanity. And like, Landis was like, step, like we sped away. The only thing that person could have been doing was dumping a body. There's no other reasonable, other reasonable reason why somebody would be out there. I mean, he might that. have been harvesting corn. It was 11 p.m. and there were no lights. He was not harvesting corn. There were no vehicles around. I don't even know where this person came from. It's terrifying. And if you made that the first scene of any horror movie, they could put it in the theaters. We'll make some money. Okay, I, this word forty minutes. We got some more to get to. Um, yeah, yeah, it was scary. It was one of the scariest things I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, next question. Hey, this is Mac calling from Los Angeles. Uh, I went to USC. Fight on. Mostly, I want to talk to you guys about breakfast. I cannot believe that Dave has the reputation for weird food cakes when Ari doesn't like waffles. There's so many good sweet breakfast options. It's one of the most special things about breakfast. You can't do it for any other meal. And it blows my mind that that's the, like, normal opinion, is that savory breakfast is superior. Not as a daily driver. I get it. I eat my eggs and bagel for, like, regular days. But on a Saturday, watching some cartoons, give me some waffles, pancake, you know, sausage to balance it out, that kind of thing. I don't get it. It's amazing. Dave, I also think you're wrong about specialty pancakes. I love maple syrup. Um, but next time you're in town, there's a place near uh, near USC's campus called Jackson Joe. And I think it's kind of like the uh, the corn dog thing where you just you really haven't had the experience uh, that you need to to appreciate specialty pancakes. So check it out. I think you could be you could be swayed on that. My question for you guys, do you guys both really believe that the four team and the 12 team are, you know, one of those is the ideal situation? Or do you think that there's an in-between that would be better or even a greater expanded field? Okay, I got to start this off. I'm not going to do the playoff thing again, but I like waffles. <laughs> That's completely inaccurate. I don't like whipped cream and sugar sauce and... I don't want a candied apple for breakfast. Okay. That's the only thing. I don't need the candy part. I like waffles. I like syrup. I like the, that the waffles have become a bun on some breakfast sandwiches. I'm a big waffle guy, big pancake guy. I just want maple syrup. That's all. And I'm going to keep my answer short and sweet to the actual question, um, which is I think six or eight would be fine. 12 is too many. That's I'm, I'll be done with that. All right. Real quick. Did you prefer the BCS over the four? No. Okay. I'm an eight person myself. I have some breakfast thoughts uh, that I want to bounce off Nicole. But I, if it was me drawing it up, I would go eight. Uh, I would go five conference champions, although that gets messy with the Pac-12 situation. But I would go auto bids. I guess you do four and four now, something like that. Um, so that, that would be me. And I would have a guaranteed spot for the G5. Sorry, Ari. Yeah, that's okay. okay. I, I mean, it's better than 12. So I also was a big proponent of eight and that was before kind of like I realized that we were skipping that step. Like I thought it would go to eight and then it would go to whatever yeah. size after that. Um, but I actually really like 12 the more I like thought about it because I think that the idea of having <sighs> dedicated at large spots is a good thing. Ari, it's going to get the best teams in. You want them at the end playing for the title. Anyway, we don't need to go into all of that. Um in general, though, I was eight and then like 16, kind of like the without buys. Like, I don't love the idea of having buys. 
Um, but mm-hmm. I see why they did it the way they did. My main thing moving forward, especially once we actually have this play out next year, is the on-campus games are going to be awesome. They're going to be a headache. They're going to be a logistical challenge, but they're going to be awesome. And then we're going to have quarterfinals in bowls, and they should not be in bowls. There should be at least two rounds of campus games, and then you ask your fan bases to travel for the semifinals and the finals. I think that's the part that's going to need to be fixed. Um, on the breakfast front, I'm a big savory breakfast person. So going to zig a little bit. Um, I will take an egg dish over the sweets any day. I went to uh, a breakfast place in South Bend this morning called Peggy's. It was delicious. And I got a sounds delightful. Um, yeah, it was it was great. I think Peggy herself might have been there. I there was a rumor going around. So I was like, oh, the place you took me in Michigan was perfect. Oh, Benny's. Benny's is the best. Yeah. I ben, Benny's in Ann Arbor uh, is just a wonderful place. It's kind of the same. It's definitely family owned. And I got Eggs Benedict because Eggs Benedict is delicious. But I'm an omelet person. I'll get eggs over yeah. medium. And yeah. eggs and hash yeah. browns. Like yeah. you just you can't go wrong on it. So I Dave is over here shaking his head. He goes, how did you not get cookie dough ice cream? Like it's like, no, that's a dessert. It's too sweet. It's too much of a dessert. Ari somehow has convinced himself in his mind that I am like a birthday cake sprinkles pancake guy, despite the Life fact that really I have denied the this. Factory, pal. I have, this They're is not rules. something that I do. Now, here's the thing. I feel betrayed on a personal level because Nicole has directed me to two of the better brunch meals I have eaten in my lifetime. The first one, I can't remember if you were living in New York still or not, but my wife and I went up to New York for the Westminster Dog Show a Bubbies. few years ago. This is like right before COVID. Bubbies. I'm telling Bubbies. you, we still talk about the pancakes oh, okay. at Bubbies. So, so, it's ridiculous. Okay, I, I, that's the place I get the pancakes. They are incredible. Okay. okay. They have like a flight. They have like different kinds. and stuff. That place, yes, you have to get the pancakes. I gotta, if I'm going big breakfast, I got to combine the sweet and the savory. If I can get a small breakfast sandwich and some sort of maple syrup drenched carb that's great and then also the french toast at the place in chicago uh i don't remember what the name of it was it was right by our hotel when we had Beatrix? our staff summit yes Beatrix. Beatrix that was ridiculous phenomenal. yeah yeah we went there we went there i went there yeah, yeah. that place so was Be- beatrix is delicious they changed the menu really good for breakfast I always take people for there for breakfast really good for lunch really good for dinner and it's all over the city mm. I'm saying I like but the I, pair. I, or, I, I order this. I, I ordered this the savory dishes at these places, but except I gotta, I gotta, Bubbies. I gotta, I gotta you go to Bubbies. Off my chest. I gotta get this off my chest because Tony Ayo asked it. Tony Ayo, <laughs> what is your breakfast meat of choice? I think that I like sausage the most. I gotta say this: bacon is the most overrated food. Oh my god! On the face of the planet, it does not <laughs> need to be in cookies. It does not need to be on pizza. It doesn't need to be on hamburgers. It doesn't need to be in birthday cake. It is a perfectly delicious it's breakfast meat. Cake. People put it in everything now. No. Bacon jam, will, bacon marmalade, bacon ash juice. Like, I, don't know what it is. I will have you know on a burger, good. bacon jam or a steak yes. is ridiculously good. No, I'm just yes. saying and, it's overdone. And bacon, it's, it's not bacon needed. and in Brussels sprouts, like they just, the flavors perfect that's yes. a really good pairing no it's just if i'm too doing many it, foods, if it's part it's of a sandwich food. i want to do sausage i need something a little more substantial and bacon quality varies so much that if i'm not making the bacon i am not going to put that in a sandwich because i don't i don't need bacon on a donut though i don't need bacon on everything I that's eat fair now. i agree with it you over, on that it, I, it overpowers the flavor of what you're eating if you put bacon on your pizza all you taste is bacon 
And I don't think it's great. the most heavenly flavor on the face of the earth. I'd rather it taste is, pepperoni, cheese, right. sauce, and that, that's it. Okay, we're 46 Here, minutes into this, guys. Okay. Oh, you go yeah, ahead. Well, go ahead. I just had one more bacon thought. Okay, go ahead. The best bacon that I've ever had was, so here's another breakfast rec for people. Uh, Cheekies in Palm Springs, they have a bacon flight. So they have four different kinds of bacon and like different things. So they have like a jalapeno bacon thing that is phenomenal. And then they have like a maple glazed one, right? Like all the different things. But yes, typically other than that, I do go sausage. I actually also go chicken sausage if that's an option because usually a lot of good, good flavors. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Next voicemail. I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut us off, but we, we, we got to roll. <laughs> Hi, guys. This is Dylan uh, in Maryland, but from Texas. And I know it's been a week. But as a Texas fan, I'm just now feeling like I could talk about Texas football after that OU game. Do you all think Texas can run the table, including winning the Big 12 championship, likely against Oklahoma, and make it to the CFP? I think they can, because I don't think this is a Texas team that will drop a random game like previous years. Um, but honestly, I do think they probably will need some help with maybe a few of the Pac-12 teams dropping a game or two, maybe a bad Florida State loss, Ohio State, we'll see. Secondly, have you seen the tear that OU linebacker Danny Stutzman has been on since the game? Now, I'm definitely going to sound salty, which I am, but you've got him in a video on the field after the game wearing the golden hat saying F Texas. Then he gets a horns down tattoo on his leg, which when he looks at it, it'll be horns up, but that's okay. And now he has a shirt for NIL with this picture on the front, and on the back it says, Oklahoma only fears God, Texas fears Oklahoma. What do we think about this? I got a quick thought on this tattoo. All-time bad tattoo. All-time bad tattoo. If you played for Oklahoma and you beat them, you wouldn't think that there's a significance to that? No, I will, but he chose poorly. He went with, as I understand it, a traditional Texas Longhorns logo that is upside down on his leg, which, as our caller noted, just looks like the regular logo to him. If you're going to do the Texas pejorative logo, you have to do a literal hands-down sign like on your bicep or something or like Mm. on your heart or something. That's what you got to do. The, the actual Texas logo upside down on your leg is in such an insane choice that I don't even know what what you're what you're doing. So I got to tell you this, Dave. I was just eating or at the sports book with one friend that has a tattoo on his bicep that says death is just the beginning and beginning is spelled wrong. And mm. I have another friend that was at the <laughs> same breakfast uh, sports book who has my name tattooed on his body in three different places. So when you think about all time bad tattoos, hold um, on. Yeah, <laughs> he did That's it three different podcast, times. I feel like one was a quote, one's my initials, and one was another thing that he has. What is your relationship yeah. with this friend? Best friend and how I met my wife. <laughs> but I, I would never tattoo my best friend's initials on my body. Why He's got a do- whole bicep tattoo with all the initials of his closest friends and family, well, including my wife's initials too, because they're very close. But it is when you, also the friend that has death is just the beginning on his bicep. Also has uh, only God has seen the end of war on the back, and I think those are conflicting because like if 
It's true. So I, I think that, that, like, if you really think about it, I hope he doesn't listen to the show because I don't want to come down on him, but uh, he has had a lot of tattoo sessions while not being sober and it didn't work out in his favor. Um, I like the horns down thing, but I do think it is funny if you if it looks like horns up. Okay, it's a, get to the question. Yes, I think they're going to. I think they will they run can. the table, and they I think can. they can. I think can. beating beating the same team twice in the same year is hard. Is, I mean, if they but... continue this run also of just playing backup quarterbacks, that's a great uh, strategy, I think, by Sark to just make sure that whoever they're playing that week, their starting quarterback is either hurt or sitting out or sick or whatever. And that's a good run. I like that. I like that. <laughs> but, no, I think Texas can. I don't know that they will, but I definitely think they can. I, I They're good enough to do it. Um, yes. And I really want to see the rematch uh, in Arlington for sure. Yep. I also agree. Ken and don't know if they will, but they can. And I think they would have a very strong playoff case. It's very similar scenario here with Oregon, right? If you get that rematch in the Pac-12 championship game and that's your only loss, you avenge it. I just, I hope we get those two games. So most of the putting that in the universe. Um, I, uh, I, I think they, it's I don't there's know. too many there's moving so many parts. parts. There are too many. This year, there's more more contenders, but I I think in theory, yes, they should be yeah. able to. I would say over fifty percent a twelve and one Texas with an Alabama and an Oklahoma win on its resume is over fifty percent going to get in the playoff. I would say. Also, Ari, do you have any tattoos? I don't. I've never thought I, of anything that I'd want on my body. I don't either. Yeah, I'm not anti-tattoo. Uh, I just have. A I'm not either. I, I think they look good. To. And the one friend that I told you has like the initials and um, had like really, really good work done, like spent thousands and thousands of, so like his tattoos are actually very well done. Mm. The thing that I hate is when people skimp on the work and get tattoos and get bad ones that are just done poorly. Mm -hmm. um, or, or like bad art, misspelled. Yeah. I, I don't got to hire copy that. editors if you're a tattoo yeah. shop. I've always believed that. We should be uh, consultants. I'll just, if I were ever to get a tattoo... <laughs> I would hire an artist and then find the most qualified tattoo artist. And if it cost 10000 instead of 2000 I would probably figure out a way to pay that because I don't want bad artwork on my body. Like that's that's my general tattoo take. But I, I my wife doesn't have any. I don't have any. But I'm not anti-tattoo. I have a friend who has the state out. He's from Wisconsin. He has the state outline of Wisconsin over his heart. I like that tattoo. That's a pretty good tattoo. So like the, the state of Wisconsin is like his whole identity as a person? No, like that's what you would put over that, your heart. No, it's it just, just a place that means a lot to him. He also grew up in the exact same town where making a murderer happened to continue on murder. Oh, so he good. like is from he's like familiar with a lot of these families. Like, Ooh. would great, he like to help us with our documentary? We'll see. We need, if, we need, if Ari gets murdered, we'll make the call. We'll see. Okay. Okay. Well, I um, I think the state ones are okay. You guys know how much I, how hard I go for New Jersey because no one else yeah. does. You have a New so Jersey I, tattoo on your body anywhere? I do not, but now you know I'm gonna think about it. Can we get it? Can we get an hour back tattoo on your bicep with the Sopranos oh. gun as the R? <laughs> Jesus, no. Hey, hey, guys! I wanted to make a football point real quick. I'm sorry. I hate the, I hate how, the, the how dare how dare you do that? But but Dave, because you said you think it's possible if. Mm -hmm. I wanted to because I also wanted to give an ode to the Miami fan because the Miami fan said he was really upset. I think sometimes in college football we lose fact uh, or lose sight of the fact that sometimes you just lose to a good team, like a yeah. good team losing to a good team. Not everything is embarrassing. So yeah. like North Carolina is an undefeated team. Miami lost to a good team. I wouldn't get it hurts, but I wouldn't get too wrapped up in that. 
But let me ask you this, Dave. If Texas wins out the rest of their games and then loses to Oklahoma again in the Big 12 championship, will you consider me right? Yeah, as long, as long as they don't lose by like 20 points, yeah. I would consider Because losing, if Oklahoma is just better than them, Yes. That 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 means that I didn't I was wrong, but it wasn't because Texas nodded off games to bad teams. It's just sometimes you yeah. lose to a team that's better than you. And I think it's possible that Oklahoma, not possible, maybe it's it's probably likely after what we saw that Oklahoma is just better than Texas this year. And if that happens, then that that, that happens. Yeah. I will I will solemnly swear to you, Ari. I will say you are right. Okay. If Texas is just, only I was curious about season. that. Now I reserve the right to retract that. If they get put in a terrible bowl game and lose to like Wyoming or something, no bowl games don't matter to me. If they're not playoff <laughs> games, uh, I'm with then you. I guess that's I'm probably why you. they're expanding it. But okay, next question. Hi, uh, my name is Joe, and I'm calling from Venice, Florida. Uh, suppose LSU runs the table, beating Alabama and Tuscaloosa, and then the SEC championship by beating Georgia. And alongside that, you have several undefeated teams and one-loss teams in the Big Ten and the Pac-12, is it feasible that you have the college football playoff without the SEC champion? Thank you. Interesting. I think this is a short answer. The only way is if the SEC champion has more than one loss. I yeah, think it's that simple. Probably. There's no other I wanna, I and possibly a head-to-head, you know, if you're talking about yeah. Florida State. I haven't looked at a lot of like the advanced number ranking systems and I'm, I forget what the committee uses a lot of, they use a lot of different metrics, but I feel, and the metrics always love the sec because they have so many strong teams, but in a down year like this, I'm very curious if those metrics are not as high on the sec. And if that hurts, I just don't think we've one been progressive enough lost. for the committee to not put them in. Even if we think the sec is bad, I don't think that we're at that point. Well, also, we know that the committee can always just backload, put a bunch of SEC teams in that 20 to 25 range, and then it's like, oh, wow, look yeah. at all, look at all yeah, of these top 25 wins. That does happen. Love so. backloading. It happens. Okay. Next <laughs> but yeah, I, I, last point, I just, I, this would be the year that yeah. you don't do that. Yeah. Hi, this is John Skolski from Iron Waste, Spain. I was watching the Washington-Oregon game and thinking with more and more players coming back for their third or even fourth years, and not having to take the chance of being a mid to late round draft pick anymore because of NIL. Is the quality of gameplay going to steadily improve simply because rosters are more experienced? And are developmental programs like the, I don't know, Iowa's, Wisconsin's of this world, are they the big beneficiaries? Because that'd be kind of awesome. All right. Oh, and our, uh, the filet fish is finally making its way to mainstream McDonald's in Spain, in Madrid anyway. It's five euros and five cents, which is like five bucks, half the size of the ones back home, and totally worth it, brother. Wow, that's an important update. What five yeah. euros and five cents? What what does that mean? Half American currency, half European? Uh, no, it's like they're. The, I think the euros use cents. I'm they use sure. cents. Okay. I, yeah, I, have I you been know. to Europe? I have. A ton. I use an American Express card. Okay. No, I'm asking Ari. I'm like, have you like used other currency before in your life? <laughs> yes, I've used uh, shekels in Israel. Okay. Uh, I've been to. I've been on a lot of Mediterranean cruises, so I've been to Greece and. That doesn't surprise France me. France and. You give off strong yeah. Mediterranean cruise vibes. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Tarp mm-hmm. off, 
star of David flowing in the chest hair. I got the whole thing going. <laughs> but the uh, yeah, no, I've been I've been overseas quite a bit. Luck, lucky enough to be blessed enough to experience those beautiful places. But I don't remember. I'm not a currency expert. I just like pay with credit card yeah. everywhere I go. I think this question, I think it actually will because you'll have more more good players sticking around, more experienced players, slightly less. Well, I'd say slightly less. I mean, I think a a not insignificant amount of uh, fewer players turning over every season because for a long time it was, you know, you're not you don't want to risk your body for free. You don't have to do that anymore, especially if you're a star with iffy NFL futures. I don't think that it will impact places like the developmental programs, because I still think you're going to run into the issue of players being poached. And unless you have players becoming employees and having the free transfer and the tampering that's going on uh, across the sport reeled in a little bit, if you're a great player at a second tier, as we would call developmental program, um, you're going to get poached by one of the big play by one of the big player places, you know, whether you're, you know, Jameer Gibbs or whoever um, that's still going to be an issue. So I don't think that the developmental programs will benefit, but I do think the sport as a whole will. And we've kind of seen that this year with the amount of star power that you had coming back. I mean, the PAC 12 is enjoying a lot of that. And I think we're going to see more of that in the sport because it becomes more attractive to stay. Um, and you're not giving up, like, especially if you're a big star, you know, you can make close to a rookie deal um, in NIL, especially if you've made a bunch of, you know, made a bunch of hay, you're in a big program that that has a deep-pocketed collective. So I have a couple different thoughts on this. Um, I do think that it's great when athletes decide to come back. I've been saying that for a while, and I think we've seen it in college basketball for some of these bigs that aren't really valued in the NBA and wouldn't be drafted. But I think that the question overall, some of the things we're seeing this year, something that I was actually just writing about and texting you guys about, is you do still have these super seniors with COVID eligibility. So some of the quarterbacks that we're talking about have really been experienced, and they have also lived through this period of time where they got an extra year of eligibility for COVID. Uh, The transfer portal started to explode, or started, actually, if you think about when some of them started in their college careers, like Sam Hartman. And then also you had um, NIL and we're still in the early stages of it, right? And so that could continue to change or athletes eventually become employees. And that model works a little bit differently as well. You'd Mm -hmm. still have endorsement deals for the biggest of stars, but it's a little different than the way like collectives work now. So I think it's still a little bit TBD. I do think for the mid and late round guys, which is really what the question's about, that's where you could see that. But I just, if we're some of the other guys, I mean, would you really want to risk one year of your athletic peak at your prime of your career to not be playing the NFL for some of the really high-end guys. So I I just think that Mm -hmm. that it's going to depend on the situation. And also again, like in the years to come, when you don't have the super, super seniors with COVID eligibility, and then you also have maybe a different business model, it could look different. So in general, yes, I agree. But I also think that this is going to continue to evolve. I think also if you're, if you're at a place that doesn't have a ton of recruiting um, just rich soil, like a Wisconsin, like an Iowa, something like that, and you have a collective, I might use that collective a little bit differently, knowing that I'm not going to be able to go down to Atlanta or go into the middle of Ohio and get their best players. 
But if I have guys, I want to say our collective exists to make sure that we don't get poached, that we don't get outbid for a guy. We're going to keep our guys. And I wonder if that is a more effective strategy for some of the middle programs that no matter or how deep to come back. your NIL pocket. Right. Yeah. R- yeah retention. Yeah. How yeah. deep your pockets are, yeah. you're always going to have trouble getting the five-star offensive tackle. But you might develop one. And, and maybe instead of J.J. Watt, you know, signing up to go play for, you know, Ohio State or Alabama for a year, you keep him. Okay, guys, we're an hour and three minutes, and we've got one more voicemail. Let's get to it. Let's do it. Hey, gentlemen, Hadley from Pacifica. I've been meaning to call in for a while now to bitch about all my bad beats with all my gambling, but that's for another time. Now, not even as a USC fan, I'm watching the end of the USC Notre Dame game and seeing a Notre Dame team that got their ass whooped by Louisville last week and had a tough stretch, including the game against Ohio State, but really came out here and crushed USC, albeit at home. This really seems like a bit of an indictment on Lincoln Riley. I know his record was 17-3 and coming into this game at USC, but this is a bad loss, and as you guys have noted before on your pods, they're not recruiting modern day or California very well. It doesn't bode well for Lincoln Riley, and there has to be a bigger story there that I hope you guys will cover as to exactly why, whether the coaches aren't going out in the high schools there in California, whether they're not connecting, whether the SE ski schools are doing better. In any event, thanks and keep up the great work, fellas. Well, I promise you we're going to have a matter day story eventually. So um, I don't know when that's coming. I know Antonio Morales is working on it. I'm going to help him if he needs my help. It's something I'm very curious about. But, yes, I think it was a, it was a tough loss because it made you swallow the realization that they're just not a very good football team. They're not a well-rounded football team. They don't have the lines to compete. They don't have the defensive players to compete at the level that we're expecting them to compete at. Maybe that's our fault. Maybe it's our fault for putting USC in that category. Maybe it's our fault for expecting them to make the playoff. I have a thousand dollar, you know, debt to Andy Staples now as a result of my my thought process of how quickly that would take, and it's not taking very long, or it's taking longer than I thought it would. And they're not recruiting to the level that I would have expected. So when you go see them get hammered by a team like Notre Dame, which also doesn't have a ton of top line talent because their offensive line can't block anybody, and then you see the two top one hundred players. Um, one of which is a five-star prospect, one of whom, sorry, I'm learning grammar with my editor, Mitch, uh, is a five-star prospect um, who's going to Texas and one's going to Auburn, I believe. It's like, I don't even see how they're addressing the issue. Now, it's a portal, 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 but I thought they were going to own California in like a dominant way, and they're just not. I don't have a good explanation for why, but I, I agree that it's a huge concern that you're not. And I and I think it gets muddled now too, Ari, because I think if you're Ohio State, if you're Penn State, if you're a lot of these schools, I think you have a, a hand in California now. And and I thought they were going to rule the Pac-12 a lot like you did, Ari. I thought he'd go out there and do the same thing in the Pac-12 that he did in the Big 12, win the league more than half of the years he's in it, um, and have a roster that – might not stack up with Alabama or Georgia, but would dominate the Pac-12 and then see how it goes in the playoff and maybe get a couple pieces that allow you to, to compete and have an offense that can't be stopped. And right now, 
he has a really good quarterback and a bunch of really good receivers. And you look at the other rest of the team and you say, I don't see a lot else I love on that squad. I mean, it is fun to watch Caleb Williams scramble and make something out of nothing. It is also not a super reliable way to win a lot of good football mm-hmm. games and to not lose against good teams against good yeah. teams. Um, also that game against Notre Dame. And I'm not just saying this because the weather was what it was, but like, that's the kind of game they're going to be playing a lot of games like that in the big 10. Yeah. We've wondered that. I don't know like, how much of a factor that is, but it's it like playing but in the back it, of your mind. But how does USC match up with Iowa? Right. First of all, that would be I'd a like fast game. game. I would I'd absolutely like love to watch that game. game. It's like two immovable. Would that be a sickos you know, game or would that be like would the be number a, one card on pay-per-view? Oh, absolutely a sickos <laughs> game. But that – so like it would be like playing Utah every week, right? Like the physicality, the focus, the way mm-hmm. that like Kyle Whittingham builds these teams. Like, it's like Conor just, McGregor versus Mayweather. <laughs> I, just can't, I just don't understand how Lincoln Riley has not changed the way that he's done this. If you had all these great quarterbacks at Oklahoma – and couldn't win a playoff game because your defense was so bad. Why do you not change that? Why do you then hire that guy wild. and bring him with you? And then I don't know how much of it is messaging, but last night you hear him say, "We're close. We're close. You know, we just got to do a few things better." And like, that's not what I see when I look at them. And on Ari, you forget Ari. We were hitting not the panic button, but we were raising a ton of red flags in Week Zero after the yep. San Jose State game, and we said, yeah. "Oh yeah, they can't play. They, they gave up big... San Jose State. But they were I know, and the big plays, people, David. They rotated yes. everybody. Yeah, Ugh. yeah. They, well, they got, they got, more, State, they got sacks this year. Remember last year it was all the turnovers, and we're like, okay, well, yeah, they're going to yeah. stop getting all these takeaways. Um, yeah. Before we go, because I know we're getting close to wrapping up, uh, just received a text back from Bill Landis. So, uh, perfect yeah, time. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Circling back on the Ooh, story. Dollar B. Um, okay. Yeah. He says, I don't know if it was a ghost, but we were definitely driving through a very rural area where there shouldn't have been any people. It was dark and rainy, and someone or something did emerge from the corn as we drove past, and it scared it the man. shit out of us. Yeah, it was a man. He looked me in the eyes. I made eye contact with the guy. It was a psychopath. And I looked him in the eyes. Oh, that's what it sounds like. Another doc. I don't know. It was a guy in overalls with, I don't know if there was blood on his hands or what, but like there was something going on You're just adding details. No, no, there was no blood. There was no blood. It was this though, Nicole. Seriously, look at me. I was driving very slowly. Have you seen the movie Fargo, guys? Have you seen it? Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know the scene in the beginning of the movie where the the incident with the cop happens and that chubby guy was driving the station wagon and, like, saw, you know, saw what was happening and made eye contact with the killer? And it was like this? Mm -hmm. And, like, they locked eyes, then he got in the car and then chased him? That's exactly what happened, except he emerged back into the cornfield. What a great call, JY, in the chat. It was Purdue Pete. That would be the most terrifying. (laughs) That that or the Providence Friar would be the most terrifying thing to pop out of a cornfield. Yeah. 100%. All right. Well, we didn't get to written messages this week. We will save them in the bank for next week. We just went really long. We had some good grab ass. We had some good football discussion. I want to thank everybody so much for leaving those voicemails. They warm my heart every week. I'm so excited and thankful that I get to do this. Um, Thank you so much for your continued support of Until Saturday and the entire feed. Uh, if you love Nicole as much as I do, you get Power Hour on Tuesdays, right? Um, 
Wednesday. It usually Sorry, goes up on the, Wednesday. I, just so you know, I can't figure out which is the recording schedule and which one is the yeah the recording date and the post date. We the recording record, date we and record, the post date. We record on Tuesday. Tuesday nights. It publishes <laughs> publishes on Wednesday. Yes. Either way, <laughs> Power Hour is a great show with Chris Vanini. You got to listen to it. Um, honestly, I feel like this podcast is going in a great direction. Dave, thank you so much for you know putting up with me and. I'm really happy to figure out that you're the freak of the show. And, uh, you know, rate, <laughs> review, subscribe, share. You know the deal. You know the drill. Um, we will catch you guys next week. Until then, for Dave Ubbin, Nicole Auerbach, I am Ari Wasserman. Stay out of uh, the cornfields. Ari, I'm going to tattoo your name upside down on my leg.